Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Good morning. If you take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter, chapter 8, we're going to dive in in just a minute. I want to say welcome to you. If this is your first time at Bible Center, I'm Pastor Matt. I'd love to meet you uh, after the service. Uh, I'll be here down towards the front. would love to get to know you and welcome you into our community of spiritual friends. We're on a journey. We're all broken, uh, seeking restoration and growth from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so, so glad uh, that you are here. November is National Adoption Month, and so today we're celebrating as a church Adoption and Foster Care Sunday. And we're doing it for three reasons. First of all, we want to celebrate God's adoption of us and how that we've put our faith in Christ. He brings us into his family. He actually adopts us. But we also want to celebrate those of you that have been involved or are involved in adoption and foster care. And so before the service is over, we want to celebrate you and the good work you are doing day in and day out. And the third reason we're celebrating this as a church is to dream together about what the Lord may want for our church, for our little church here in Charleston, West Virginia, what God may want us to step into in a greater way in the future. And so we've had a good service at 9 o'clock, and I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do in this service as well. I want to say at the outset of the message that my intent is not to guilt anybody uh, into adopting. Personally, I never like getting guilted into anything. I've got just enough of a rebellious streak in me that if you try to guilt me into something, I'm probably not going to do it just on a matter of principle. And whether that's right or wrong, I don't enjoy when someone tries to guilt me, and so I don't want to guilt you. My wife and I have not yet adopted, and I realize I am speaking in a room where many of you have read more books on adoption or foster care, and maybe you've spent months or years involved in the process. And so this morning, I just want to preach with the authority of God's Word, but I also want to do so humbly, knowing that we're on the journey together, and I hope that you can learn from this message just like I learned from you. However, the Lord did lead me to dedicate today as Foster and Adoption Care Sunday. Nationwide, really worldwide, last Sunday, churches celebrated what they call Orphan Sunday. And for our church calendar, we wanted to celebrate this day today. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, am I really going to get anything out of this message? Is there anything in this message for me? I'm confident that there is. Somehow, someway... There's something in this message for you. Maybe you're a man or a woman and and you're not able to have your own biological children. I prayed today, our pastors, our elders, we prayed today that God would use this message in your life in a special way. Maybe I'm speaking to a parent and you have children already, but maybe you're wondering if the Lord wants you to consider adoption or foster care. I'm speaking to a parent who has maybe no leading of the Lord to ever step into adoption or foster care personally, but I'm praying the Lord will use this message that will help you support uh, those who are involved. Maybe I'm preaching to a parent who has adopted or has fostered or are currently doing one of those two things, and you need encouragement. You almost didn't come today, and so I've prayed that today God would use this message in your life. This message is for a grandparent whose grown children have just told you or maybe are about to tell you that they're considering adoption or foster care. And so maybe God's going to use this message to prepare your heart for that news. Maybe this message is for a husband who flinches every time your wife mentions adoption. And you're not against children. One day you would like your, your own children, as you say. But even when you use the words, your own children... Uh, You get mad at yourself because you know that's not quite the way you're supposed to think, uh, but nevertheless, that is who you are. Maybe I'm preaching to a wife, and you keep the adoption application on that stack of pages, on that desk, in that room that you never use, or on that treadmill that's more of a filing cabinet than a treadmill. And you pray about it, and you think about it, but you're just not quite sure. I've prayed that God uses this message in your life. Maybe I'm preaching to a 20-single-something, and you've got your life planned out, but God's going to use this message today to completely change your desires. 
Maybe I'm speaking to a middle age or a senior saint, and you've already raised your children, but the Lord will use this message to come around our church family and other family, younger families, who are going to adopt, who are adopting or fostering. And I've prayed God will use this message to lead you about practical ways you can support the people already in your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this message is for you one way or the other, because we're going to see how much the Heavenly Father loves us. And if you need a good dose of how much God loves you and what he did to bring you into his family, today's message is for you. I'm going to give you five reasons why we emphasize adoption and foster care so much here at Bible Center Church. Let's go ahead and dive in. Number one, adoption and foster care illustrates our new identity. It illustrates our new identity as Jesus followers. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 15. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Then verse 31, we see these markers of identity. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one, he says. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or in danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all the day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Know in all these things. What is our identity? It all comes down to this. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This whole passage hinges on that image of adoption. God says if we want to know what salvation is really, really like, Look at a loving, successful human adoption. And if we want to know what a loving, successful human adoption should look like, God says, look at His salvation. Look at the way He adopted us. According to the Bible, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are accepted into God's family with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities as an adult child you were adopted into his family. Now, if you like to read books or you're interested in more information on adoption, I want to recommend this book to you uh, by Russell Moore called Adopted for Life. I just read it this week. He was one of my professors in seminary, and then halfway through, he went on to do other things, still writing books. One day, would love to, to have him here at our church. But he, wrote, he gave a great illustration that I'm going to read out of the book, but I want to read it in PG form, okay? It's it's very graphic. It's, it's just written to adults, but I'm going to give it to you because there's children here in the PG version. But think about this in your place in this story. Imagine for a moment you're adopting a child. As you meet with a social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and attempting repeatedly to kill the house pets 
He acts out on his urges, the social worker says, although she doesn't really fill you in on what that means. The boy's father, grandfather, and great-grandfather all had histories of violence, ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Now, think for just a minute. Would you want this child, he asks. Would you want to adopt him? Or if you did, wouldn't you keep your eye on him as he played with your other children? Would you watch him nervously as he looks at the butcher knife on the kitchen table? Would you leave the room as he watched a movie on television with your daughter with the lights out? And then Dr. Moore says this. He said, well, this boy is you. And this boy is me. That's what the gospel is telling us. Our birth father, Satan, has fangs, he writes. And left to ourselves, we'll show ourselves to be as serpentine as he is. Romans chapter 8 mentions our old identity. Before Christ, we were guilty, we were condemned, filled with ourselves. But Romans 8 says that God loved you anyway. God wanted you in his family. We saw a few months ago, a couple months ago from Ephesians chapter 1, that God came looking for you. The sheep never go looking for the shepherd, but the shepherd came looking for the sheep. And God says, I want to take you and your old identity, and I want that to be thrown away, and I want to give you a new identity as a son or daughter of the king. One of the things I enjoy about families who adopt is just listening to their rationale for changing names or not changing names. Sometimes when the kids are older, I understand the the rationale behind maybe not changing the first name. When the kids are little, a lot of times they'll change the first, of course, and the last name. But most of the time, last names are changed unless there's extenuating circumstances because it reflects a new identity, this new identity. The Thompsons, Pastor Richard and Michelle Thompson, tell us that one of their children just still goes around the house saying, I can't believe I'm a Thompson. I can't believe I'm a Thompson. And you see, that adoption, they've adopted four children, that adoption is a picture, it's an illustration of our new identity in Christ. I would love for you to leave church today saying, I can't believe I'm a Christian. I can't believe I'm saved. That's the way God wants us to live. Number two, why do we encourage adoption and foster care here at Bible Center? Number two, it highlights our new heart. It highlights our new heart. Romans chapter 8 in verse 5, Paul brings in this old imagery from Jeremiah. The Jeremiah passage is in your notes, and you can read it later. But in Romans chapter 8 in verse 5, building on that Old Testament image, he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, if you're a Christian, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if, indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, think of this, is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Notice verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit, here it goes again, you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Why do we put such an emphasis on adoption and foster care here at our church? It's because we believe it is a picture of the new heart that God gives us the moment we become followers of Jesus. 
Now, in this passage, he talks about Abba, Father. He mentions that Paul says, you're my brothers, you're my sisters, God is our Father. But twice he talks about God being Abba, Abba, Father. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard the illustration about how Abba means Daddy. And it does. It it totally does. But it means more than that in Romans chapter 8. Sometimes we get the image that Abba is a baby giggling when his daddy's maybe playing with him on his knee. But that's not the image of Romans 8. Romans 8 isn't about giggling, it's about groaning. And you hear the word groaning used over and over again in this passage. It's not about giggling, it's about groaning. It's not like me, whenever I was a kid, or my daughters saying daddy whenever they're having fun. It would be like my daughter screaming daddy because maybe a rabid dog is just almost going to grab them. Like screaming, groaning, cries of desperation. And God says one of the ways you can know that you're actually a follower of Jesus is that there's this dependence, there's this faith, there's this recognition that you need God in every part of your life. This is just another way of rephrasing Jesus' words on the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall see God. One of my friends in seminary, they, he and his wife adopted two baby boys from Russia, and he talks about the experience of going into that orphanage and the babies you know, not being cleaned up and some of them laying in their own you know what. And he talks about the, the most eerie part of that orphanage wasn't the smell, although it was bad. He says the most eerie part of the orphanage was the sound. He said it was like quiet, like the Library of Congress. He said because those babies had learned from a very, very early age, days after being born, that they could cry and cry and cry, and very few times was anybody ever going to pick them up. Very few times was anybody going to rock them or hold them or cuddle them. And he said there were hundreds of babies throughout this orphanage, and it was just dead quiet, like something you would experience on a horror movie. But whenever he and his wife started getting to know these two one-year-old boys and began to love on them, and they knowing they had to leave and then come back, ended up making two or three trips to Russia before the adoption was finalized, these boys learned that somebody cared about them, And all of a sudden, they learn to cry. They learn to cry because somebody cared about them. God says that adoption gives us this picture that we have this inner connection to our Heavenly Father. And we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, because He gives us a new heart. Why do we encourage adoption and foster care here at Bible Center? Number three. Because it pictures our new family. It pictures our new family. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 12, we see this family imagery. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. But back again in verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are whom? We're God's children with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Adoption in foster care reminds us, it pictures our new family About a decade ago, when Sarah and I moved to Louisville for seminary, two of our friends, two of our closest friends, was a couple. Their name was Bryce and Katie. And Bryce was one of these, like, uh, he's from Southern California. Nothing really got him riled up. He was just always chill. I used to joke with him about his surfboard. I don't know if he actually had one, but he kind of was one of those guys, right? Just totally chill. You could never really offend him. Katie, on the other hand, Katie was just different than Bryce. It was the opposite of Bryce. And you could get her riled up fairly easily. Just a great couple. They, they moved to seminary about a year before we got there, and they had adopted four children. And his fourth was by the time we left, but they adopted several by the time we got there. And I made a mistake, and those of you that are involved in adoption and foster care right now are about to cringe, and so I'll go ahead and warn you. But I made a mistake in how I referred to their children. I asked them, I said, oh, which ones are your kids and which ones are the adopted kids? 
And I quickly learned by the brick that flew by my head that, that you, not really, you don't ever say that, right? You don't say that. There's not like there's kids at level one and then there's kids at level two. There's just children. Katie's like, these are all our children. This is our family. You see, adoption and foster care pointing to adoption reminds us of those things. Psalm 68 in verse 5 tells us that God wants us to see him this way. He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God is in his holy dwelling. In John 14, 18, Jesus made this promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I learned this week, I had never seen this before. The very first words after Jesus' resurrection are in John 20 and verse 17. He says, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Adoption and foster care reminds us of that truth. We have a new family. Why emphasize adoption and foster care? Number four, because it highlights our heavenly home. It highlights our heavenly home. In Romans chapter 8, Paul's going to use poetic language to picture the day that the earth is renewed. If you want to know more about what that's like, read Revelation 21 and 22. God's going to make this earth new, a new heavens and a new earth. He's not just going to totally discard this. He's going to make it new. Just like Jesus' body was resurrected, one day the earth is going to be made new. In Romans 8 and verse 18, listen to how he describes that. Some of you will will, uh, you'll resonate with this pain and suffering. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. He's referring back to Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, the whole entire world suffered the consequences. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We'll stop there. This picture of adoption in this half of Romans chapter 8, he gets very specific. When you trust Jesus, you're adopted into his family with all the rights and privileges. But in another aspect, it's almost like you don't totally get your adoption certificate until the new heavens and the new earth. And and that's one of those things that we can talk about another time. You are eternally secure if you've put your faith in Christ. But God says you are 100% saved now. But there's coming a day that you're going to be 100% saved, not only in the spirit, but also in the body, when he makes all things new. So that's the redemption that he's talking about there. He's trying to give us the picture that Jesus gave us in John 14. When Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. There's plenty of room in my Father's house is what he's trying to say. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Just yesterday, there's one of the families in our community groups, in our community group, who uh, just yesterday, I, was, I pulled up to the driveway, and I know that they're, they're preparing the house. They're getting the house ready for adoption. They're hoping to adopt a, a baby boy or a, a boy. And and so yesterday, I, I pull up to the driveway, and out on the driveway, they've got some furniture that they're painting, and I knew exactly what it was, because I knew they were getting ready for this adoption in, hope, in hopes of bringing this, baby, this boy into their house. And so I go in, and I'm talking to different family members, and I go upstairs, and I see the room that they're preparing for this boy. Now, I've been in the house and been in this room before, 
and it was kind of like girl, you know, forgive me, just flowers and, you know, color, pinks and purples. Well, now the room looks totally different. It's got Spider-Man everywhere, right? They've taken such pains to make sure the curtains are matching the, the bedspread that has Spider-Man. The, the desk has been like painted black. And I noticed like even the cup holders are black or Spider-Man and everything in, the, in that room has been changed. Why does that family do that? Because they're preparing a place to receive somebody into their family. That is a beautiful picture of heaven. You see, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus said, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you, and one day I'm going to bring you to myself. And so every time here at Bible Center, and so many of you have, when you adopt or you foster a child, what you're doing is preaching a far better sermon than I ever could. You are declaring to the world, if you want to know what salvation looks like, it looks like this. That's why we emphasize adoption and foster care here so much because of the picture it paints. Number five, and lastly, why do we emphasize adoption and foster care at Bible Center? Because it helps hurting children. It helps hurting children. This isn't the context of Romans 8, but I'm going to make an application from verse 35 and 36. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he begins to list the troubles that he personally had gone through and the troubles that he knows his, he knows his readers, his hearers have gone to. So I want you to think with it in terms of the context of maybe what children in West Virginia experience, many, many children experience in West Virginia. You know, right now there's 6,996 children right now, or as of two days ago, in foster care in West Virginia. That's almost 7,000 children just in our state alone. You could fill up this auditorium eight times, eight times with the children who are in foster care in our little state alone. Now, not everybody who is in foster care or in need of adoption is there because of the opioid epidemic. And I want to be very careful in my reading this week and interviews this week. I, I've learned to be really, really careful because there are other reasons. Sometimes the reason is maybe a, a family member died, a parent died, a grandparent died, or, or maybe the mother chose life. And the mother knows that he, she can, and the father knows that he can't raise that child. And so they put the child up for adoption into a good home. And because we are pro-life, we not only celebrate when someone makes that choice, but we celebrate when a family adopts that baby or that child. And so there's a number of reasons someone goes into up for adoption or into foster care. But we have to be honest that the opioid epidemic has had huge impacts in our state. And I think we could agree there wouldn't be 6,996 children in foster care today, that number, if it wasn't for the condition our state is in. So think right now about the trouble that some children in West Virginia are facing right now. Some of you faced it growing up. The hardship that they're going through I just heard a couple weeks ago of a little boy who's praying for a mommy and a daddy every day. I never had to pray for a mommy and a daddy. I prayed for Nintendo games, right? Praying for a mommy and a, the hardship, the persecution, the famine. Some of you have knows what it's like to grow up and not know where your next meal is coming from. But there's kids all around our state like that. They, they eat on Friday at school and they don't get a good meal until Monday when they go back to school. Call it famine, call it poverty, call it whatever. It's trouble, nakedness. In my closet right now, I've probably got like 30 coats. Now, that's an exaggeration, okay? I'm, I'm warning you, that's an exaggeration. But it's, it might be 29, all right? There's kids in our state that barely have one. Or if they've got a sweatshirt, they wear the same sweatshirt every day. My mom was a teacher's aide in one of our Kanawha County schools, and she says there's kids who wear the same clothes every day. It's not because it's their favorite. It's because it's their only clothes. Danger and sword. Violence. They're like sheep being led to the slaughter. 
Why do we as a church emphasize, why have we structured our budget in such a way? Why have we taken the last four years to align ourselves to at least be able to, yes, make an impact on the nations, but also to make an impact in our city? Why have we done that? Because we want to help hurting children. Yes, there's theological reasons. We, we want to show our new identity and we want to highlight our new heart and we want to picture our new family and we want to highlight our heavenly home. But may we never forget about helping hurting people in Jesus' name. Will you watch this video with me? This is a great example, beautiful story of someone in our congregation who's helping and loving through adoption in foster care. I'm James Ojeda. This is my wife, Carly Ojeda. And we have two adopted boys who we love to the moon and back. Chase is nine and Camden is six. They've been with us since March 23rd of 2015. We adopted them at the end of November 2016. I'd say that adoption definitely changed the trajectory of my life. <clears throat> Having a mother who was into drugs and alcohol, and then um, prostitution as well. The person who I thought was my father growing up has been in and out of jail his whole life. The person who I found out was my biological father is a different man. I don't know about their faith. I don't know whether or not they believed in God. But the family that adopted us, faith was a big deal in our family. My faith has sustained me. It has sustained our marriage. And it's kind of, it's made us who we are. <clears throat> and I think for that, I couldn't be more grateful. So that's, that's a big trajectory shift <laughs> to have basically what I felt was no God to having faith and believing that everything happens for a reason, that God is in control, that he's ordered our steps before we even got here and um, that we can lean on him, that I can lean on him. Adoption has definitely given me a more of an understanding of God and his relationship as, as it pertains to us. For the simple fact of when you get a child like this, who's been through trauma and who's, bro who's truly broken, in every, every conceivable way. Uh, and you don't understand like, like you know, you don't understand why they don't, why there's no obedience, right? There's disobedience and it frustrates you. It drives you, drives you wild. Sometimes it's, it's simple stuff, but then you're like, I love this child uh, beyond imagine, no matter what they do. So now it's my job to try to figure out how to not only forgive them and to teach them about repentance, but to restore them, to restore them to our family. And we just, we were going through over this conversation, it was yesterday. <laughs> and <clears throat> when you see it with the children, um, these, these type of children in particular, and how unruly and disobedient they can be, then it gives you eyes of like, wow, this must be how God sees us because I don't care who you, who you are or what kind of life you live, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, add up to the holiness of God. But God wants to restore us. He loves us and He wants to restore us, forgive us, and accept back the prodigal. And we're all prodigals. And uh, when you see our children that are uh, like this, it, it, then it truly uh, shows, uh, puts that on display of how God probably sees us in our relationship to Him. So it's a good contrast. We have a community at church of great people who are our friends, and not just friends because we're into fostering and adoption. They're our friends because they love us, we love them, and we can share part of our journeys. We can empathize and sympathize and pray for each other and talk to each other. We really consider Bible Center our church home not just because it's a great church, but because we have great friends. We're going to close out our service a little differently today. I wanted to take a few minutes and ask the Korths and the Thompsons to share their story. 
uh, Pastor Caleb Quarth, his wife Tiffany, Pastor Richard Thompson and Michelle Thompson. Would you join me in welcoming them as they finish out our service today? Both families have adopted a number of children, and so I've asked them to share their story. Caleb and Tiffany, will you start? Um, so when Caleb and I got married, we, um, the, kind of, the plan that we had for ourselves was to work a couple years, um, to have a couple kids, and then to live happily ever after. And we worked a couple of years, and then the kids didn't come. But instead, we were dealing with um, facing miscarriages and infertility treatments. And our hearts were broken. And um, it was through that heartache and through that brokenness that God really introduced to us adoption. So we didn't really know a whole lot about it. Um, I had a friend growing up that was adopted, and that was about all I knew. So we started looking around for agencies, and we found one through Liberty University. And so we just decided, hey, we're going to go through as many doors as God allows us to go through. So we got the longest questionnaire we've ever filled out in our entire lives. Um, and you, know, you had to get all this different information. And one of the things that helped us through the process as we grew closer together is a husband and a wife, and uh, one of the questions they ask is, what do you fight about? And we're like, ah, oh, we don't really fight. But then uh, we realized that um, we do disagree sometimes on how to get somewhere or how to get to something, not really the, the what or the why, but uh, the how. And so that helped us. God was even using those things to prepare our hearts and open our hearts towards adoption. And then in um, the summer of 2012, we, um, Caleb and I were both working at the church together, and Bill Tansy, he was the pastor over the counseling office at the time, he grabbed us and he asked us to pray for an expecting mother and her unborn child. And so we happily obliged and we prayed and didn't think anything of it. And then a few weeks later, he grabbed us again and said, would you consider adopting this baby? And we had just finished um, we paid all this money to that adoption agency, and we had just mailed off our um, our questionnaire and everything to get accepted. And so this became very real to us very fast, and the baby was going to be here in five months. So um, during that time, we were wrestling with different things, um, as you can imagine. One of the, the questions I had, and I felt guilty about it, and I wasn't sure who I could talk to about it, was, will I ever be able to love a child that's not my own? Like, will I ever not think about that? Or will I see them and I'll think, oh, this is someone else's child. And like, I feel like I know the answer to that, but I really need some help. I'm like, who can I go to? And so um, Matt and Stacy Walker have been like huge encouragements to us through this entire process. And I'm like, Matt's a straight shooter. He's gonna tell me like it is. So um, we went out to dinner and I said, hey, look, shoot straight with me. Like, are you gonna, do you, do you struggle with this? Is this a thought I should even be having? He's like, all right, here's the deal. Oh, real straightforward. And here's the deal. Um, you're going to um, think about it a little bit, but then one day you're going to wake up and you are not going to think this is someone else's child. You're going to think this is my child and you won't even think about it anymore. And I thought, wow, like how can I even get to that point? Um, but he's like, you're going to feel that right now. You're going to have these questions, but there's going to be a moment where you just realize that you, all you think about is this is my child. I cannot love you any more than is possible. And uh, that was a huge helpful um, part to me and a huge encouragement. Yeah, so for five, so for five months, we'd been struggling with doubts and fears. And, but December 20th came and the birth mother had a C-section scheduled and we didn't think we were gonna be able to go to the hospital. And so we had some family at the house with us and Stephanie Thornton, one of our best friends, she was on standby. And uh, we were getting ready to eat breakfast and all of a sudden we got a call from the hospital and they said, come on down, the birth mother wants you here. So we, um, we raced to the hospital and we waited for about an hour. Sorry, I told them I need tissues. Um, and uh, so all of those doubts of like, will we connect with her? Will she ever really be a part of our family? Can we ever love her like our own? They all melted away the moment the nurses brought her into the room. And she instantly became our daughter. And to us, she was instantly Emma Hope Korth. So uh, that was a little bit of adjustment, going from not having a baby to having a baby. And um, it was a big transition for us. And so we were kind of went along with life and... Um, and when Emma was three or four, she started saying things like, I'm lonely. And I'm like, wow, how can like a three-year-old experience loneliness? I put her, tuck her in the bed at night. And she's like, dad, like, I'm, I'm lonely. I'd like a, um, a little brother. She's specific. Um, <clears throat> I'd like a little brother. I'm like, well, those don't just, you know, grow on trees. Um, so 
um, we, we started praying about it, and I would just put her at bed, and like my heart would ache. Like I know what it's like to have a sibling, and Tiffany grew up with a bigger family, and so um, I was. Um, she was I think around four. It was 2017, and I'd gone to Kanawha State Forest to hang out with my dad, and we're on the way back, and I missed a call from Ted Tanzi, who's our counseling pastor right now, and um, I re- missed call voicemail. So I go in the house. Tiffany's like, I need to talk to you. So I'm like, um, counseling pastor and my wife are like, you know, trying to get a hold of me. I'm like, I don't think I did anything. Um, so uh, we, we go into the bedroom and Tiffany and I um, are talking. And she says, um, the, uh, Ted wants to know if um, the lady came in and she's expecting. And uh, he wants to know if we might be willing to adopt another baby. And she's like, well, the, the real kicker is it's Emma's birth mom. And we're like, I said, uh, one more time. <laughs> you know, I just went from like shooting guns to like, hey, we're gonna have another addition to our family. And uh, so she told me again, I'm like, uh, we kind of stared at each other and she said, um, so do you want to pray about this? Or we had this awkward moment. And I said, nope, like we just need to do it. And so we um, began that journey again with Jack. Yeah, and a few months later, um, Jackson Elijah was born. And uh, the experience with Emma's adoption and with Jack's adoption was very different in every way. And, um, but I'm thankful that we, able, we were able to experience the adoption two different ways because I think it allows us to relate to people. But um, with Emma, it was this instant connection. You know, we've been searching and waiting and praying for her. And with Jack, it was a little bit more of a surprise. And he was here very quickly, even came three weeks early. And um, so we didn't have this instant connection with Jack. Our love for him grew over time and, and our attachment to him grew over time. It took several months, but I remember, and I, was, I felt guilty during that time. I'm like, man, it should be just like Emma. Like, it should be instant. Um, but I remember one day I was putting him down for a nap and I walked out of his bedroom, closed his door, look across the hallway to Emma's door. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I love him like my own. It just hit me. Like, it took a while to grow, but... I got there, and we got there as a family. And now Jack is as much of our son as Emma is our daughter, and we are, he is no less a part of our family, and he has no less love. Um, and we are just very thankful, and we wouldn't change any of our story and any of our journey, because um, even though we had to go through the heartache um, to get to our kids, we would do it all over again. Our story is very different because we didn't go through the infertility process. We had three biological sons who <laughs> we love dearly, and um, but he is a tough guy, but he's got a great heart. Um, but we felt like God was calling us to do more and to to adopt or to foster and. We started to take the classes at one point, or checked into taking the classes, and when they told us the schedule for the classes, we realized we had three boys in high school all playing sports, and we couldn't get to the classes. So we decided, you know, if we're too busy to take the classes, we're probably too busy to give the child the time that he or she would need. And then um, when our youngest biological son was getting ready to leave for college, we looked at each other and we're like, if we're ever going to do this, we should do it now. So we had five months of empty nest. We went to the Virgin Islands on a trip. and um, I recommend that. <laughs> and uh, just this month, one of our married sons looked at us and said, um, do you guys ever like look at each other and wonder like if you didn't have young kids again, what you'd be doing today? <laughs> we were like, yes, but the reward is so much greater than taking trips and doing things. And it's what God called us to do. So we did take the classes. Um, The first two calls we got were not good fits for our family. And then they called us about a precious five-year-old. And um, we said yes. And so, you know, after saying yes, before the child arrives, my good friend Donna, who's my mentor, said, every time you say yes to a child, you're going to have this feeling afterward, like, can I do this one? And I did. And I called her and I was like, okay, you know, you said that... And she said, just start praying. God's leading you. 
And so my thing was, I didn't doubt whether I could love another child. I knew I could. I, I don't know why, I just did. But I started that night to wonder, how do I connect? How do I make him feel comfortable? Like, I'm, I could hug you, any one of you. Like, I'm just, that's my personality. But I didn't want to walk up to a child I didn't know and, like, be all hugging on them. And they're like, what is this woman doing? And so I started to pray that God would allow him to let me read to him because I love to read, and it's a natural way to set a child on your lap and bond with them. And I don't even know why that went through my mind. But um, so I prayed, and it was like a 24-hour notice that he was coming, and I probably prayed that prayer a hundred times. Please, God, let him let me read to him. Like, doing the dishes. Please, God, let me. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. Please, God, let him let me read to him. And um, unbeknownst to me, he is in a car for four and a half hours with a caseworker driving to us to live with someone he'd never met before. Talk about courage. These kids have so much courage. But anyway, I'm trying to decide with my personality whether to like run out the front door and like scare the child to death because I'm excited or whether to stay inside like, oh, I'm ring the doorbell. We don't care. So I'd opted to just step out on the front porch and smile and try to look nice, <laughs> which is so funny to think about now. But um, anyway, I again am praying that he'll let me read to him and the caseworker pulls in the driveway. He's not out of the car yet. So I walk past the car. She's pops the trunk. She's getting ready to carry things. So as I walk past the trunk, I see the two most beautiful brown eyes I've still ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, but I, I haven't talked to him yet or anything. And I walk to the trunk and uh, the caseworker says, before he gets out of the car, I need you to promise me one thing. Well, I have no idea what she's about to say. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll try. She said, for four and a half hours, this child has been saying, will my new mommy read to me? <laughs> I was like, what? And um. She said that he had been in the hospital the night before and that somebody was, had read a book to him and he'd never been read to before and he loved it. And they actually gave him the book. We still have it. And, um, you know, there have been very hard days, but there has never been a day that I have doubted that that is my son. Because, wow, what an answer to prayer. You know, Emma got her baby brother and I got a little boy who now we're reading a 400-page chapter book at bedtime because, doggone, I'm reading to him. <laughs> but... Um, you know, God is real. And if he's calling you to do this, you can do it. For me, it was a little different. We went through the classes and um, I was overwhelmed with all the statistics and the things that you're being taught. And um, you start to feel um, compassion. And um, so when, when the first one that came to our house, and for me, it, it, it just... The two things that stick out in my mind are the one day, I, I had the same question, Caleb, I think a lot of guys think this way, can I love this child? I mean, it's not mine, but can I love him, especially having my own? And one day I was folding his, I was folding his shirt, doing the laundry with Michelle, and it just overwhelmed me that and I thought of the verse when God looked at Jesus and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's what struck me, that this boy is going to be a Thompson. And he's going to be part of our family forever. No matter what he puts us through or no matter what we go through, he is a Thompson. Another moment is when we went into his room. and Imagine a five-year-old who looks in a room and says, is that my bed? Are those my toys? Is, are those my clothes? It was overwhelming. Another special moment for me and another adoption is the judge had given the gavel to a young man. And she said, honey, if you, once, once you hit this, this is permanent. You are a, you are a Thompson. You're in the family. And he took that gavel, and I mean, he slammed that thing down. And the judge herself was, was taken back. And she goes, okay, done deal. Like, you know, so maybe he's a judge in the future. But uh, as the four of us up here, if you interviewed us and we had, if we had more time, we would, we would tell you we're not perfect. But God loved us enough, called us to this. And if you're called to it, you can do it. He will enable you. He'll give you that. It is not a mistake. We are not. We don't regret what we've done or what we're, what we've wow. gone through. And would we do it again? Absolutely. Wow. This week, as we were preparing, yeah, let's clap. 
I asked them, how can we as a church get behind this movement? And, and they came up with three things. So I wanna give them to you if you like to fill in your outline. And that is one, pray. Let's pray for these children, these nearly 7,000 children in foster care. Let's pray for those who are already in our congregation loving and serving these little ones or, or older ones. Uh, so pray, number one. Number two, explore. Will you explore what the Lord wants you to do? The Holy Spirit is much, much better at this than we are. And so I would encourage you to go out and explore the Mission West Virginia table. The website is in your notes. If you wanna check out the website, just explore. What is God inviting me to do? Is he inviting me to take part in adoption or foster care? And then number three, support. Um, even if the Lord says, no, that's not what I want for you, I believe all of us can do something. We all can support this movement. I got a text last night. It's like 10 o'clock and I go to bed at nine. So I got a text last night that said the foster closet needs uh, high chairs and it needs, uh, what does the foster closet need? Beds, car seats, keep coming. Di diapers, the foster Dressers. closet needs a lot of things. And you could support, you can go to the Foster Closet Facebook page. Let's get behind this movement. I would love to see us fill up the Foster Closet. I know Donna would as well this week. Um, but one, another way we can support it is through our giving. I wanna invite our ushers to prepare themselves. And, and uh, in just a moment, I'll invite you forward. Our, your giving actually goes to make this ministry possible. Day in and day out, Michelle and her team are connecting families uh, with agencies or uh, families interested in foster or adoption. You made all of this possible last Christmas and we're continuing to make it possible through your giving. And so I'll ask the ushers to come in just a second. Here's my question for you. If you had some impact, if your life has been impacted in some way through adoption or foster care, maybe you were adopted, maybe you, were, you grew up in a foster home, maybe you are adopting, or maybe your work or through some other ministry, you have an impact and it's impacting you in adoption or foster care. If your life is transformed in some way through adoption and foster care, will you, will you raise your hand for me? Would you just raise your hand if that's you? So you should know by now, if you raise your hand, I'm gonna trick you. Everybody whose hand is raised, will you stand? Go ahead and stand. Everybody's hand. Let's give these folks a hand and just thank God. Let's go ahead and all stand, let's all stand. I wanna pray over our church as our ushers join me at the front. And I wanna ask the Lord to use this Sunday in a very, very special way. Dear Father, I thank you for your work in the hearts and lives of real people. And I pray that you'd help us to get a better glimpse of your salvation when we see these families in our church, in our covenant family, adopt and bring children into their homes through foster care. Transform the way we think. God, wreck us, wreck our church to love like we've never loved before. Bless these men and women who are already in the fray, already doing it, already leading. And God, above all things, help us all to see your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, Thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.